your eyes to the skies. It's time for Space Out on 95 BFM, thanks to the Stardome Observatory and Planetarium. Hello, Josh, are you there? How's it going? It's good. It's good. Um, how are things at the stardom? How's the how's the work progressing on uh, the stardom? Yeah, no, it's coming coming along pretty well. Um, yeah, we just moved into some actual uh, like displays and designing and actually getting the content down. Um, yeah, and then eventually getting that sent off to print and yeah, built, which is quite exciting. So yeah, hopefully in a um, few weeks, probably be able to share a bit more of an update. Mm-hmm. Nice one, nice one. Now, what's been happening in space news this week? I thought I thought it was worth mentioning that to, was it tonight and today, or was it last night and today? Uh, was the autumn equinox? Yeah, so that's today. That was this morning. At, I think just after ten o'clock. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, equinox is the it's Latin. It means equal nights. It's the day that basically our day and night are even. Mm-hmm. Um, so unfortunately for us in the southern hemisphere, it means that now our days are shorter than our nights. Mm-hmm. Um, but for those in the north, they're going to get those longer days. So yeah, it's the, the two days a year that we get uh, even days and nights. But we are headed towards uh, six months of some longer nights, meaning more time for looking at the stars, correct, Amondo? Yeah, it, I mean, it's good for some people like me, but for most people it just means, like, cold and miserable, so mm-hmm. not fun for everyone. Yeah. Um, do, I mean, is there anything... Uh, that you know about the equinox that might be of interest to the listeners out there that people may not know? Um, oh, what do I find interesting? It honestly depends who you ask. I mean, there are so many significances around the equinoxes and also the solstices, which is the opposite. That's when you get the longest day or night. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's been so much of astronomy that's been built around them. Um, you know, things like the Stonehenge, you know, pretty famous thing in the Northern Hemisphere. That was the um, one thing that sprung to my mind. I was like, Stonehenge, yeah, for some reason I'm so just... That, that was um that that monument basically is built to the solstices and equinoxes. So on those days of the solstice and the equinox, um, the sun is basically rising at really precise points within those monuments that mm. kind of align to the north, east, south, and west. Um, so there are all these really cool astronomical kind of observations that you can actually make on these days. Um, kind of that shows you you know the motion of the solar system and the Earth. Um, from space, basically. Unfortunately, I'm looking out the window and it's raining, so probably not going to be doing that today in Auckland. <laughs> yes. I mean, Stonehenge itself, do you know much about the mystery surrounding Stonehenge and the wizards slash druids that hung out there? Yeah, I mean, I, I can only really speak to, like, the science of it, or, you know, around the alignments to, you know, different stars and the, the rising and setting points of the sun. Mm. Um, I, I don't I don't think anyone really knows much about the people that built it. Is that true? <laughs> You have to ask someone else. Yes, I'm not the one to ask either. That's why I was asking you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I honestly don't know, but yeah, mm-hmm. it is very scientific, regardless of whoever built it. Now, uh, should we also? I mean, officially, we sort of go on three month blocks here in Aotearoa, but should we be checking today as the actual official last day of summer? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a debate. I've I get asked this all the time: is you know, do we go by the meteorological summer or do we go by the astronomical kind of marking of the season? Mm-hmm. Um, it really depends who you ask. I mean, you know, if you think about it, seasons don't actually exist. That's just a unit of time that we've invented to, mm. you know, mark changes in the environment. So, you know, some cultures have six seasons, some have two. Um, we've decided on four, so it's a pretty arbitrary way of measuring. Mm-hmm. Um, meteorologically, usually we mark the seasons dependent on things like temperature. So, you know, summer goes from 
what is it, November, I think, November, December, January, mm-hmm. or is it a month after? Um, and that's just from, you know, temperature things, whereas astronomically, we can actually measure exactly the day that the equinox happens. So it's easier, I guess, to measure uh, seasons from equinoxes and solstices, mm-hmm. um, but that's an astronomer's point of view. So yeah, you ask yes. a meteorologist, they're going to give you a different answer. Is it possible for the the tilt of the Earth to change? And... Um, well, it actually it does actually change. It's um it, it basically calls what we call processing. So the tilt of the Earth or the direction that it's pointing in space, it actually slowly kind of makes these circles. Mm-hmm. Um, but that takes like twenty six thousand years to actually complete. So. Over 26,000 years, the stars' um, positions of them will actually shift. But mm-hmm. over, over a human lifetime, it doesn't actually yes. change. So, yeah, but that would obviously change now. when the seasons are happening, right? Yeah, as, as it does change, the seasons will also shift with that. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I mean, everything shifts. The position of the stars, the sun, the seasons, um, everything astronomically does shift. But because... You know, space is so big. Over a human lifetime, um, those changes are quite hard to note. Just you know, for eighty years of our lives. Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. Now, NASA have got some brand new spacesuits. Yeah, they had a um, pretty big announcement last week about these brand new spacesuits. What they're they're basically contracting a private company called Axiom Space, um, and they're going to build in these new spacesuits. And these are the suits that they're actually going to be wearing on the moon for Artemis Three. Um, so that's in probably later in 2025. So, yeah, these are kind of the first new spacesuits that we've had in about almost 50 years to actually go on the moon. Mm-hmm. Um, and they look pretty snazzy, too. They look pretty cool. They're pretty racy. They kind of look like a one-piece ski suit. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, very, but very bulky ski suit. I noticed that they're, they're dark. They're like a dark navy slash black in color. Wouldn't that make it hard to see them on the surface of the moon? Yeah, so I actually, when I saw them initially, I thought that was really surprising that they were black. um, Mm. Because also, on the moon, the sun's extremely hot, so you need, you know, materials to reflect the sunlight. Mm -hmm. Um, Turns out, as as cool as the black looks, they're actually not going to be black. The original, or the new ones, will actually be white. Mm -hmm. Um, But these are just, like, prototypes, so they just had to basically have a material on the spacesuit. Yes. Um, So, yeah, the the ones on the actual moon will be probably looking more similar to the Apollo one, so they will be that really bright white colour. Do they have any sweet features that the old suits don't have? Because the old suits are like a million years old, correct? Yeah, super old, really cumbersome and bulky. I think the biggest thing with these ones is they're quite mobile. So they had a demo when they had um, someone in the suit kind of walking around, you know, kneeling down, grabbing things. And they, they have a lot of mobility. And I think that's the hardest thing about, you know, wearing a spacesuit on the moon was it's, you know, they're really hard to walk and they weigh like, 80, 90 kilos. Mm-hmm. So these spacesuits, they're going to be lighter, they're going to be more compact, um, and they're just going to be easier to move in, and that's a big thing for astronauts. Cause, mm-hmm. You know, if you ever look at, you know, old Apollo footage, um, the astronauts look, you know, super awkward kind of stumbling around the moon because mm-hmm. it's really hard to walk. You know, you've also got less gravity, um, and the spacesuits are also pressurized, so there's a lot of factors, and mobility is really the most important one. Have you figured out what the price tag is of these new suits? Well, that's the other thing. Because it's a private company, NASA hasn't really given a price because they're actually contracting out to this company to build them. Um, so I think in the long run, it is cheaper for NASA to contract and say to a private company, can you build this? We can hire it from you, basically, as opposed to NASA putting in their own money to brand new spacesuits. So, yeah, we, we don't actually have a figure for funds and we might not get one. Um, but all we know is that they essentially are going to be rented by NASA to actually walk on the moon. Oh, wow. Rented. 
rental suits. Yeah, essentially. Oh, crazy. <laughs> Probably a very expensive rental. Though. Yes. Now, and NASA is going to an- announce uh, the crew for Artemis 2 in April. Yeah, so that's uh, about two weeks, just under two weeks. Artemis 2 crew, which is the first crew. Um, they're not going to land on the moon, but they'll be going around the moon later next year, orbiting around, mm-hmm. um, and they'll be announcing that in about two weeks. So I think that's quite exciting. There's you know, a bit of talk about who's it going to be. Um, but yeah, we're not really going to know until they announce. Okay, so the capsule for them to dock with is up there at the moment. Um, it's it's not up there, but it's the same one that they sent for Artemis One. Mm-hmm. So that's the mission that they had last year, where they sent that capsule Orion around the moon. Yes. Um, so it's that exact capsule, the Orion capsule, that's actually going to be taking these astronauts. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Artemis One was kind of a first test of the technology, and it worked. Um, so now that we know that it works, the second mission will actually have crew inside. So it's going to be testing that all of those life support systems that we've made are actually going to be supporting the crew. Um, and then Artemis 3 will be carrying the astronauts to actually go to the surface. Okay. All right. Any chat around what sort of food they'll have on the capsule? <laughs> um, it'll probably be yuck and dehydrated and need a lot of salt. Um, no wheat bags? Yeah. <laughs> no, you're not allowed to crumbly things in space because okay. it goes everywhere. Ah, damn, everything in those pouches is like... Yeah, no, you're not allowed crackers or anything because oh. it's um, too crummy for space. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, the European Mars rover um, is now travelling to Mars in 2028 because they, they missed their launch window due to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Yeah, um, the mission was pretty kind of... It was on jeopardy after the invasion and it was kind of likely they would have had to cancel it. Um, but basically, the Europeans had built a rover um, that was meant to launch last year, and that rover was meant to be landing with a Russian-built spacecraft or a okay. landing platform. Yeah. Yeah, but obviously, because of what happened, um, relations between Russia and the European Space Agency has fallen out. So they basically cancelled and said, we're not going to be sending it with your spacecraft. Um, so the rover basically had no ride to actually get to Mars. So they had missed the launch window. Um, the rover's been, you know, sitting in storage, essentially. Um, but they've basically come out. They've got new plans. They're going to be building their own lander. Um, going to be about four years of storage, so they're going to have to keep the rover for another four years. Oh, man. Um, but it means, yeah, at about 2028, they will eventually send their rover to Mars, which is, yeah, pretty good news for them. Well, they have to do a bit of maintenance on the rover while it's just sitting in storage? Yeah, well, that's kind of the big thing is, A, it's maintenance. So they have to look after the rover because yeah. it's very delicate stuff. Um, but also, because they get those four years to build the platform, they actually are going to be doing some minor upgrades to mm. the rover itself just because they have time. So, you know, they're going to be adding things like, uh, I think, a new heater for the internal systems. Uh, that's going to keep the rover warmer. So potentially they're actually going to be giving the rover a bit of longevity, upgrading, you know, some of the parts. Because, you know, in four years, a lot of these actual optics and stuff will be slightly outdated so Mm. it just means that they can actually add newer stuff to the mission which you know in general is a good thing yes yeah 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 i mean how long is how long are they giving this rover to how long is this mission how long is this official mission well i think the official mission it's only like three months or something which is a really short time period um, but in saying that, as we know, you know, every Mars rover that we send to Mars, we all say, oh, you know, its lifespan is six months mm. a year, and they end up lasting for, you know, 10, 15 years. So yeah. the, the expected shelf life um, is usually pretty small, but the actual, you know, mm. longevity of these rovers is much longer. So as long as they can actually get it to the surface, I'd expect that this rover would probably, you know, last five, six, seven years maybe. And what sort of sweet science is it going to be doing on, on the Red Planet? 
Um, one of the biggest things it has is it's got the one of the most powerful and like deep drilling drills on this rover. So it can drill something like two meters underground. Which, Holy you know, no, moly! Yeah, really impressive. Um, and you know, with no Mars rover has been able, been able to do that. Yeah, I heard, um, wasn't but, there wasn't there some crazy thing where they they were like hoping to drill and it could only go down like a centimeter because Mars is so tough. Yeah, that was the Insight Lander. So yeah, that that had um, that struggle to actually get this little probe into the ground, and that mm. was, I think, trying to learn about heat and the planet. Um, but yeah, the difference with this rover is that drill. The reason it's going to be drilling so deep is because you know a lot of us actually think that if there was you know microbial life on Mars, because Mars is really sterile and the surface gets a lot of radiation, mm. um, we think that a lot of the microbes near the surface you know would have been killed off, sterilized. But you know a meter or two down. They may actually be living. So the reason we've got this really deep drill is to actually find out, you know, is the, you know, a few meters below the surface, is it actually more hospitable to potentially life? Okay. Which is also, you know, really exciting question. So hopefully they can actually get it there. Mm. So the big ticket item is it's looking for life. Wow. Yeah, always is. <laughs> ah, crazy. Oh, I mean, what if they find life? How do they send information back to planet Earth? Well, yeah, I mean, they've got satellites and stuff, so that would just be sending, you know, information over radio waves, you know, mm. the same as on Earth. It can um, do the science. It can, it's got enough power to do the science itself to go, yep, that's life as we know it. Well, that's kind of the question is, you know, a lot of these rovers, they can provide us really strong evidence of something. Mm. Um, you know, they might give us evidence of life. They might be proof of, you know, potentially past microbial life. Yes. Um, but I think the hardest thing is, we probably won't be able to answer a lot of these really big questions until we actually get people on Mars. Because, mm -hmm. um, you know, these rovers will be able to send us data and give us really yes. tantalizing evidence. But as the same on Earth, it's probably not until we get, you know, human hands on the red planet mm -hmm. that we can actually answer those questions finally. At this stage, it's still a one-way ticket to Mars if we were to go there? Oh, I mean, if we decided that that was our goal and we put in, you know, more resources, we do have the technology to go to Mars and back. Mm. Um, but with current, I guess, budgets between yes. space agencies, um, it would be a massive technical, technical achievement and it would be a lot of work. Mm -hmm. um, and it would also just be a long time, even if we could send people there and back. That's like a two, three-year return trip. So it's mm -hmm. a pretty big trip to Mars. Okay. All right, Josh, from the Stardome, um, is, there, is there anything else that people need to know about uh, you know, uh, underway at the stardom? Um, yeah, not really until we're opening, but um, hopefully I'll be uh, sharing a few more photos on our social media in the coming weeks. Um, so, yeah, just keep an eye on that. All right. Hey, thank you very much, mate. Everyone out there, hit, hit, check out the stardome.org.nz and uh, we shall speak with, speak with you in a fortnight's time, mate. All right, beauty. See yeah. you then. Hold up. Control, we are docked. That was spaced out on 95 BFM, thanks to the Stardome Observatory and Planetarium.